And all the church said, you may be seated. Hey, thank you again for being here today. Uh, before we get started, just a reminder that uh, we make available to you every week an outline, all the main points, all the scriptures, all the applications and these kinds of things that, that you might want. We make these available from the sermons, available to you on the website. There's a little button that says uh, MPG and outline, sermon outline or sermon handout. That's where you go to get a copy of this. If you want a copy of it uh, sometime later in the week, it'll be there for you. But also really want to emphasize the fact that we also put on the back sides of these sermon outlines the MPG. As you know, MPG miles per gallon is about how far you can get going down the road on a gallon of gas. We want to do the same thing with the sermons and our time in God's Word. We want to push it down the road a little bit. And so M stands for memorize, P is for prayer, G is for glorify. We always give you a scripture, the main text, or something really relevant to what we've talked about in the sermon time. We want you to memorize. We give you a week to do it, usually kind of small, so it's not that much trouble. Then uh, we are going to direct you in prayer during the week, this specific week. Starting tomorrow, we're going to give you some very specific things to pray through next Saturday. Saturday. And then the glorify section is about some very practical things you can do. Sometimes it's just a question to think about or a series of questions to reflect and contemplate. At other times, it's some very specific activities that you can do both in the community and in your church family. This week, it's going to be some very practical things you can do as a reminder and a, a reinforcement of the things that we've been talking about in this one another series that we've been looking at since well, for this is, I think this is week six. So, just as a reminder, our theme statement, and this is going to be the last sermon in this series. Next week, we're going to talk about the resurrection, kick off a new series. The theme is, all of us make one of us. All of us make one of us. And our theme scripture, the theme text, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's this. Now you, speaking about the individual members of the church, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. One of the things that Paul is so big in his emphasis whenever he writes to a church is just how unified the body is supposed to be. So I want you to do something with me right now. Everybody put one finger up in the air. We're going to emphasize the teaching today. We should be so connected as members of the church that we should look like one body. We are one body. At MacArthur Park, we are one body that's made up of 1,100 members, but we're one body. And as our membership, our church family, this body of Christ gets larger and larger, we want to stay... Oh, let's try that again. As we <laughs> get bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more and more people join this body, we want to stay one body. That's what we want. And so here is the big idea of the day. Health is not accidental, but intentional. Health is not accidental, but intentional. And this is why we have those one another passages that are given to us throughout the New Testament. We are to love, John chapter 13, love one another. That is the high mark of a church identity, that we love one another. Jesus himself said, it, if you love one another as I have loved you, that's the way that people are going to know that you're my disciples. And so this church 
as well as every church around the world, should be striving to be the most loving place in the world. And one of the most loving things that you can do for somebody, especially a brother or sister in Christ, is to pray for one another. James chapter 5. One of the things that we seek, and we know is a reality, just by being a disciple of Jesus, is that we can seek a greater, more profound, deeper, longer-lasting blessing for somebody through prayer to God than anything we could ever do for them on our own, individually. And that's why we pray for one another. We're not looking for, for medium-sized blessings. We are looking for gigantic blessings to come flowing into the life of our brothers and sisters. Number three, week three, uh, Ephesians chapter four, Colossians chapter three. We talked about forgiving one another. We talked about how forgiveness, learning how to forgive and to really forgive well, not just sweep it up under the carpet, is one of the most underdeveloped skills a human being needs, a necessary human skill that people need to get through this world. And it's extremely true for the church to know how to forgive one another. Because what is it that we're forgiving? We're forgiving the very obstacles and hurts and pains and mistakes and words that are trying to drive us apart. And we do that from time to time. I mean, we say stuff or we do something or we don't do something and it hurts somebody's feelings and so we begin to separate a little bit because of the hurt. What does forgiveness do but begin to draw us back together? We are removing the obstacles that cause us not to be one. That's forgiveness. We also talked about encouraging one another. Hebrews chapter 10, other places in the Bible. The word encourage means exactly how it sounds. You're putting courage into somebody. Are there times in your week or maybe in the day, maybe it's every day, where you find it hard to live as a disciple of Jesus? Nod your head up and down. Yes, that it's, it's hard to live in the fallen world as a raised-up disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. And there are times when we face obstacles and we face circumstances in situations that are like giants, like Goliath in the valley of Elah, you know, shouting disdain and indifference towards us, our God, and our faith. And you know, the one thing that you need in order to be able to live as a disciple of Jesus is to have somebody come beside you and just speak courage and be a presence of courage into your heart. And that's how we stay one, and that's how we stay faithful, is we encourage one another. Last week we talked about honoring one another out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Again, other places. But this is the place. This is the place where people are seen for what they are worth, which is what you do when you honor somebody. You see their worth. And in this particular place we see people's worth because they are made in the image of God, and they are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, we show respect. We give honor to people because they're made in the image of God and they're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, today we're going to finish this series. We're actually going to look at four negative one another's as, uh, as we close this down. And in order for this to really stick with you, I'm, we're going to give you a visual. So we're, I'm going to step back here right now. I'm going to ask a couple of guys, come up here on the stage with me. And we want you to pay attention to this Simon Says game that we're going to play. Let's get tight. You guys know Ben. This is Jonathan. And we're going to play Simon Says. Everybody knows some rules for Simon Says. Let's just watch this game. Simon Says, sit up straight. We already have a loser. <laughs> we got to start over. <laughs> Song leader. 
Simon's, <laughs> he just made my point. <laughs> Simon says, stand up. Simon says, put your arms up in the air. Simon says, put your hands on your hips. Simon says, sit down. Simon says, touch your toes. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, sit down. Well, I guess we have somebody that listens and does and somebody who doesn't. Let's give them a round of applause. And you can, you can go ahead and leave. I said you could go ahead and leave. You didn't say Simon says. Oh, now Simon says you can leave. Let's give these guys a golf clap. <laughs> now, everybody knows what the key at the core, at the heart of Simon Says is, right? The game. We played it all our lives. The key is listen intently, do obediently. Listen intently. Do obediently. Now, believe it or not, Jesus does the exact same thing at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You'll remember that he talks about what it means to be a blessed person in the kingdom of God. And if you're a disciple of Jesus in the kingdom of God and picking up your cross and following him, this is how you pray. This is how you fast. This is what your love life looks like. Anger. This is, this is how you seek the kingdom of God first. And at the end of that, that great discourse, the best narrative on what it means to live in the kingdom of God, he says... Matthew 7, verse 24, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And you know the rest of that story, right? The rains come down, the floods came up, storm hits, the winds blow, and the house is solid because of hearing intently, listening intently, and doing obediently. In other words... If Jesus says it, we should do it. Amen? If Jesus says it, we should do it. Now, in my experience, churches that fall apart, 99 out of 99 times, they fall apart from the inside and not from outside forces. For churches that, that basically implode, that is a can of worms that opens up from the inside. To be intentional about being a healthy body of Christ means that there are some things that you have got to do. You've got to love, you've got to encourage, you've got to forgive, you've got to pray for one another, you've got to honor one another. But there are also some things that are equally important that you should not do. And I want to give you four this morning. How does the body of Christ get sick? It gets sick when, number one, there's the loss of love. The loss of love. James chapter 4, verse 11, brothers and sisters. Now, don't let the irony of this passage get lost on you. James is saying, brothers and sisters, that are people that are supposed to be connected by blood, the blood of Jesus, and love, the love of, of Christ for each other, do not slander one another. Question, what happens when you slander another person? What happens when you slander somebody? Well, when you slander somebody, you are detracting from their personhood. We all recognize, in fact, we honor people because they're made in the image of God and they are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. 
When you slander somebody, you are detracting from their personhood. You depreciate their standing in the eyes of everyone that hears you slandering them. You diminish their worth. You belittle their true worth. You disparage their being. When you slander somebody, and irony is, I mean, we're talking about family. Slandering family, brothers and sisters. That should not be. Don't let the irony get lost in James's passage. But when you slander somebody, you are not building them up. You are tearing them down. This, brothers and sisters, is not what you do to people you love. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus during that time when there was great globalization, diversification of people in all these major cities around the Mediterranean world, he begins his letter to the church in Ephesus by writing about their love for each other. He says in chapter 1, verse 15, I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. I've not only heard about your faith, I've heard about your love for all God's people. Later on, he will remind them, speak the truth in love. In chapter 5, verse 2, towards the end of the book, he says, let me remind you that there's a way to walk in this life with each other. You walk in the way of love. But again, you know as well as I do when you have globalization. And there has not been globalization in the world since the first century to our own present time. And during that first century Mediterranean world, you had people from all over the Roman Empire moving in with each other. That's why quarters began to be set up in these cities. In order, and walls were put up to keep people from killing each other because they came with different languages, different customs, different religions, and you never knew when you were going to be insulting somebody, and it would lead to a fight. And it was not easy to love with this kind of diversity and this kind of globalization that made up the first century membership of that church in Ephesus and Antioch and others. There were people from all over the Roman Empire that were now in Ephesus constituting the one body of Christ. Now, that's Ephesus. Some years later, the Apostle John on the island of Patmos on the Lord's days in the Spirit and he has a vision that becomes the apocalypse, or what we call the revelation. And in chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are these letters that from Jesus to the seven churches of Asia Minor. These churches are named specifically, but I think everybody that has ever read uh, Revelation realizes that this is actually letters that were written to the church in general. Now, the first one in chapter 2 is to the church in Ephesus. Now remember, Ephesus is the place where, hey, I've heard about your faith in Lord Jesus. I've heard about your love for all of the saints. Walk in love, speak the truth in love. But this is a church that is having to struggle with love and unity, chapter 2 of Ephesians. And so John writes about this church from Jesus saying, hey, I know about your faith. I know you persevere. I know you suffer for Jesus. He commends them for not growing weary but staying faithful to Jesus. But then towards the end of the letter, he says this, Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, most of the time, this is interpreted as first love toward Jesus. But this is a crew, a church, 
that is very faithful to Christ. In fact, they're willing to suffer for Jesus. They're willing to be persecuted for Jesus. They've not grown weary being faithful to Jesus. I don't think their love and commitment to Jesus is the question. This is a church historically that has struggled with how to love each other and all of the diversity and globalization that had been going on and how they were this one body in Ephesus made up of all of these different cultures. And the problem was that they were beginning to lose their love for one another. And love for one another is the hallmark mark of what makes a church a church. And Jesus says that if this church does not repent, that is, turn around and go back to the way they were loving at first, then I'm going to go and remove your lampstand. Which I believe means that they will cease to be a church. You know, a church can, can really mess up in a lot of areas, but when they mess up on love, that's when they cease to be the church that is identified as a church of Jesus of Nazareth. A church that does not love will not be blessed. I just want to say it as blunt as possible. We, our love is, is, is our calling card. We don't love the way the world loves. We don't love the way Hollywood defines it. We love the way that Jesus loved us. The highest calling in the world is to love like Jesus. A church that does not love will not be blessed. Number two, how does the body get sick? Loss of trust. Trust is at the heart of every important relationship you will have. If it's marriage, if it's your kids, if it's, if it's your parents, if it's your job, and if it's your church. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says, Do not lie to each other. Don't lie to each other. Why, why do we lie? It may be because we don't feel safe. It may be because we don't feel protected, because we don't like being uncomfortable in vulnerability. But here's the thing. The degree of intimacy a relationship enjoys is directly tied to the level of trust. Lying communicates a lack of respect. It implies a lack of, 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 of trust and of connection. It creates uneasiness, and people begin to distance themselves from each other. Anxiety is everywhere. And listen, remember what we're talking about here. We're not, we're not, we're not talking uh, about, you know, there, there are times when, when we fall, we stumble, and these kinds of things. No, we're talking about, you, you know, a lifestyle, a, a discipleship lifestyle of, that involves lying. Listen, friends, it's hard to trust God when Christians can't trust each other. And when we can't fall back on the support and the relationship and the love and the help and the prayers, the forgiveness of a church body, where are we going to be able to go to find that kind of stuff in life? The third thing is the loss of grace, and this is a big one. Paul says to the church in Rome, towards the end of the book, he says, Let us stop passing judgment on one another when somebody in the bible says don't judge they are not saying that you're losing the sense between right and wrong in fact as you mature as a disciple of jesus your sense of right and wrong should sharpen as you mature and grow up in jesus but what is being referred to is what we might call judgmentalism or if we were in the first century we might call it self-righteousness and that's where we stop extending grace to people 
We stop extending. You know, the church is supposed to be that place where people are restored, right? And that means that they are able to leave their past behind them because that's where God leaves it. And able to forge through their decisions and through the love of the church and through the forgiveness of God and God's grace, His Spirit inside of Him, inside of that person. They are able to begin to steer themselves into a new direction in the kingdom of God. But when we lose that, it is usually the result that we have stopped building our relationships on grace and love. And we are starting to look at other people's shortcomings rather than our own and build our life on their shortcomings. I think Jesus said something about that, didn't he? He said, why are you so interested in that microscopic speck in your brother's eye, but there's a big old telephone pole sticking out of your eye? And everybody's just laughing, and you know, it's first century Jewish humor, but the point is made. We stop extending to people grace which is the open door to a different life and not just a different you know a, a, a chance to do it all over again but to do it all over again differently to be forgiven and to move forward and to be loved and to move forward and to be prayed for and to be and, and to move forward when we, be, when we begin building our life on other people's failings and stop building our life on God's grace, that is the point when we begin to be hypocritical. A judgmental church is a hypocritical church. And that, listen, we make mistakes. We make mistakes. And the answer to the mistake, repent. The, the, the mistake is, is, is to confess and, and to move forward. But a judgmental church is a hypocritical church. And then the last one is this, the loss of joy, and we're done. James, the brother of Jesus, says, don't grumble against one another. Don't grumble against one another. Do you know what joy is? Joy is a sense of great pleasure deep down in the heart. Happiness might be on the face, but joy is in the heart. It's an inner sense of, of delight. What is the opposite of joy? When we begin to grumble against each other. When we begin to, to complain about each other. I, I had a friend who was preaching for a church in a, a, a land far away. And he said, I had a guy actually come up to me one day and he said, You know what? I have the gift of criticism. True story. He said, I, I've never heard of that. What is that? And he says, Well, you just tell me what you want to do. I'll think about it and tell you what's wrong with it. I've never heard of that gift. The loss of joy is the loss of the sense of being rescued from our sins. There should be a sincere and profound sense of joy when we come together. Why be sour? You have been rescued. Why be dour? You are going to heaven. Why not be joyous? Joy is a sign of God at work in your life. Could you imagine going to a, to a wedding? I mean, joyless churches are not attractive. Joyless churches are not attractive. Who wants to hang around with a bummer, right? I mean, that's theolog theological language. It's a bummer, right? Imagine you're, you're at a wedding, and here comes the bride. Supposed to be the happiest day in the bride and the, and the groom's life. 
She's beautiful. She's supposed to be beautiful. She's walking in with her dad. Everybody stands. And as she's walking down the aisle towards her group and, and the, the beginning of a new family, she's saying, I don't like that, and I don't like that, and I don't like that, and I don't like this, and where's that person? I don't know that person. Why is that person here? You know, I don't like this. It's too tight. You know, just, and they're complaining and grumbling and grumbling and complaining. Somebody in the wedding party is going to go, why in the world are we here? Why in the world are we here? The loss of joy, the loss of trust, the loss of love. All of these are signs of a sick body. And that's not for me, and that's not for you. We're here to be the body of Christ. We're to be what? Let's try it again. We're supposed to be. And we love each other, and we pray for each other, and we forgive each other. We encourage each other. We honor each other. And we don't lie to each other. We don't slander. We don't grumble against each other. And that, my friends, is how we stay one. And we become more beautiful and more beautiful, stronger and stronger, more vibrant and vibrant. 